Hey, good afternoon you. Welcome to Thursday's Richie Allen radio show live from Salford. It's exactly five o'clock here in the UK, British summer time. I'm your presenter. Hey, I've got a brilliant guest lined up for you this afternoon. And when we have time, a little bit later on, I'll open the telephone line and the Skype and you and I will have a bit of a chat, I think. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, Dr. Jane Donegan will be on the program. She was on with us a few weeks ago. She's been on in the past. Uh, Jane has been struck off at the medical register in this country. She's delighted. She is not the least bit disturbed by that, in fact. She had told the General Medical Council over the last few years she did not want to be registered. But they wanted to go after Jane to make an example of her because of comments she made about vaccines. Big article in the Telegraph about this today. Uh, We'll speak to Jane about it this hour. We won't dwell on it. We'll talk about other matters too with Dr. Jane Dunnigan. Looking forward to that. That is uh, Thursday's Richie Allen Show. There will be time later on, I reckon... And then I'll open Skype and I'll open the phone line and the WhatsApp. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, I'd be delighted to hear from you. Yes, so I would. I've been watching the cricket this afternoon while preparing this. It is a bit of a task that to keep an eye on the cricket, but also to do your job and not to get too distracted. I don't get too distracted. Uh, England bowled out the Aussies for 263 or 264. I should look it up, really. And England are into bat now. Day one at Headingley. I love the old test cricket, so I do. But I won't say too much more about it on the programme this afternoon. Okay, we will start off with a chatbot. You know this story now. It's a bit of a mad story, this. You don't know what to make of it, do you? I don't know what to make of it. A chatbot told a bloke, a chatbot, now an artificial intelligence bot, which isn't human and isn't being managed by a human being, it's a bot that has been programmed to chat to somebody. Told a bloke, yes, it's a good idea to go and assassinate the Queen. So the guy got a crossbow, headed off to find her madge to put the bolt through her heart. The chatbot. What kind of fuckery is Mad stuff, but it's all over the news today. A former supermarket worker was encouraged by an AI chatbot in a Star Wars-inspired plot to kill the Queen, who's dead now, so he can't kill her anymore. A Jaswant Singh Chael, or Kyle, 21, he was wearing a handmade metal mask, armed with a loaded crossbow when he scaled the perimeter of Windsor Castle on Christmas Day 2021, told a police officer, I'm here to kill the Queen. Two hours later, um, the, he stopped. Yeah, it was two hours after he scaled the wall is that he spoke to an officer and said, I'm here to kill the Queen. She was in residence there at the time. Mad stuff this. He, he called himself an assassin. He joined something called Replica with a K. It's an online app and he created a, a chatbot companion called Sarai. And he engaged in extensive chat with this female chatbot called Sarai. And um, sexually explicit conversations ensued. 
and then lengthy conversations about his plot to kill the Queen. He told the chatbot that he believed his purpose in life was to assassinate the Queen of the Royal Family. The chatbot Sarai said, that's very wise, I know that you are very well trained. Yeah. Um, Andrew Eborn is a tech lawyer. He's speaking here with Talk Radio's Julia Hartley Brewer. Is this evidence that AI will eventually harm humanity? Andrew Eborn. Let's hear Andrew Eborn. Let's hear Andrew Eborn. Third time's the charm. Oh, yes, we should absolutely be scared uh, regarding this. This is about a chatbot called Replica. And what happened? This is a replica girlfriend for him called Sarah, or AI, at the end. And he developed this relationship. And he said, look, I'm an assassin. And she said, I'm impressed. You're different to the others. And he talked about assassinating the Queen. And basically, she was being encouraged. Very wise, you can do it. And the problem is, and we've recently heard, last time I joined you, we were talking about how uh, people would have more empathy with uh, a chatbot than uh, they might have with a doctor, because the chatbot's got better language skills, they've got more time <laughs> yeah. to deal with it, and so on and so forth. This particular chap, he thought he was in a relationship with this chatbot, and therefore he was discussing his plans uh, with this chatbot, and it was a chatbot, not a person. And this is what they encouraged him to do. Yeah. So, when you're talking about regulations, though, what you should do is maybe build in an infrastructure that, if people are talking about criminal acts, which what this is, or self-harm, or self-harm, all that sort of stuff. It should discourage them. That's what it is. Regulation itself, and I always, we talked about this last time, is that you don't want to over-regulate the industry. What you need to do is build in those appropriate safeguards. Build in the appropriate safeguards. Build in the safeguarding that a chatbot chatbot doesn't tell somebody to go and kill somebody else. Yes, okay, leave that one, Richie. The crime statistics were released yesterday and for the UK, right? And despite the fact that there, there are more police officers on duty today compared to the numbers in 2014, only 6% of all crimes that were reported to the police resulted in somebody being charged in the last year, compared with 17% in 2014. Let that sink in a moment. 6% of all crimes reported to the old bill in the last 12 months, resulted in some bloke having his collar felt, or some woman, or some non-binary, and being charged in the end of it. Even though there's more coppers now than 2014 when 17% of reports resulted in a charge. It's absolutely ridiculous. You can spare me the sarcastic messages about policemen and women dancing at pride parades and all that. I know, I know their priorities these days. They're certainly not in solving crimes. And of course, I was a victim of a crime, even though I hate to use the word or the term victim because I don't feel like a victim. But I was knocked down while running a few months ago on a very busy road in Manchester by two cars, both of whom fled the scene. Yeah. And the coppers asked me to investigate it. Yeah. Still makes me laugh, really. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I have some skin in this game. 6% of all crimes reported resulted in somebody being charged. The policing minister is a guy called Chris Philp. He was on Good Morning Britain this morning. And your woman who presents that, Andrea something or other, well, she wanted to ask him about it. Despite an increase in officer numbers in the past year, only 6% of all crimes recorded by the police resulted in a charge compared with 17% in 2014. 
Yeah, so that a couple of points to make. I mean, first of all, we want that to increase, and that's what we expect these new police officers to be working on as they come through their training and become deployed. The other point to make... We want that to increase. The fact that only 6% of reported crimes resulted in somebody going to court. We want that to increase. File that under. Understatement of the feckin' year 2023. ...is that the number of offences getting reported has been going up, which is actually quite a good thing. More people are reporting offences to the police than they were before. Total crime, measured not by um, what people tell the police, but by the crime survey which is done, it's a sort of uh, mass, like 100,000 people or tens of thousands of people get surveyed. The ONS say that's the only reliable measure of uh, crime levels in society over the long term. That has come down significantly over the last 13 years. But more people are... It's come down from about 9 million crimes a year yeah. to about 5 million, roughly speaking, okay. four and, and a half million. And but more people are reporting crimes, which is a good thing. What we now need to do is increase that prosecution are getting, rate. are resulting in charges. And, well, the, the, the number of prosecutions uh, needs to be higher. I mean, that's definitely true. Um, and one of the reasons for hiring all these extra officers and having record numbers is so they can investigate and prosecute more crime. And as these new officers come through their training, which is happening now, um, we expect them to be investigating and prosecuting more crime. Yeah, Susanna Reid isn't much of a journalist. I would have asked him for the statistics on the 6%, dear listener. That's the $64 million question. So, Mr Philp, of the 6% of the crimes that did lead to a charge, of the 6% of reported crimes that did result in a charge, how many of those were reported hate crimes, Mr Philp? But Susanna Reid either didn't think of that because she's not very bright or she did think of it and didn't want to get into it. So how many of the crimes that were reported that led to a charge were in fact people saying, he misgendered me, or he is a misogynist and said something about me online. I'd love to know those statistics, my dear listener, 10 minutes past the hour. It is here in Salford on Thursday, the 6th of July, 2023. So the Just Stop Oil evangelicals have disrupted Wimbledon, marginally disrupted it. On the outside courts, they threw some confetti and they threw some jigsaw pieces. Why did they throw jigsaw pieces around? Well, security is apparently so tight at Wimbledon this year, right? Because Wimbledon organisers are terrified of one of these Egypts getting in and throwing red dye all over a beautifully manicured lawn tennis court, right? That they've really trebled and quadrupled down on the security. In fact, attendees at Wimbledon are properly pissed off because they are spending hours in queues while every aspect of them is searched to make sure that they are not a Just Stop Oil activist in disguise. So what the crafty Just Stop Oil Egypts are doing is they're going to Wimbledon with nothing on them except presumably their wallets and their ID. And once they get inside, they are buying whatever they can in the gift shops to throw as they run onto the courts. It, it's absolute vaudeville, this. <laughs> right? Now, Graham Boss is a madman. He was on Times Radio this morning. I think this guy, we heard him speaking to Kay Burley recently. He's either worked in the past for, for Shell or BP. I can't remember which one. This guy is proper, proper mad. When will they stop disrupting events and leave us get on with our beloved sport this summer of our Lord 2023? Graham. When that demand is met, we will stop. 
So when the government agrees to not invest in any new oil and gas projects, we'll stop acting the bollocks, basically. But of course, they're not in power yet. We still, we could be two years. Two years is a very long time. This is about Labour. They've got high hopes for Labour to just stop oil. So David King, former chief scientist of the government, said uh, the next few years, he said this more than a year ago now, will determine the future of humanity. This is the decade that matters. We cannot wait. So we have to keep going, even though I know well, we can't wait for the Labour government to come into power. We have to do it now. We're not trying to be popular. We're well, trying to be effective. You did a pretty good job then in some respects. Does it, being popular is not... Non-violent civil resistance movements through history are always not popular. They, they, they start off being unpopular and they end up building statues to them in, in, in Parliament Square. Ah, he's a bit of a megalomaniac. We start off being unpopular and eventually they'll build statues to us in Parliament Square. Now, he didn't say that. He said they start off being unpopular. Presumably he's thinking of the suffragettes. And later on, they build statues in Parliament Square. But he's imagining that scenario for himself. We'll save the planet from climate change. And in years to come, we will have statues around London commemorating our valiant efforts. This nutjob, right? No, so let's get this right. It's not about being popular. It's about making change. Now, the, the government made a commitment in, uh, in the Paris Agreement to inform the public of the severity of the climate change, yeah? And they are not doing their job. This is what really pisses off Just Stop Oil. So give some credit to the guy presenting for Times Radio Breakfast. He's finally gotten to the root of it. Because people are confused about these idiots. Because climate change is being talked about constantly on British media. I'm sure it's the same wherever you are. If you're in Ireland, if you're in the States, if you're in Europe, it's never ending. It's relentless. The bollocks is relentless, right? That we've got to, you know, ex expedite our efforts to reach net zero or we're all going to die. So it's out there. It's on every bloody radio and television show you can think of. But now we've gotten to the nub of it. These people are pissed off that the government is not scaring the pants off the public by telling them that doom is only around the corner. That's the crux of it here. The government is not telling the people of this country enough times that we are living in the midst of a catastrophic emergency, a climate emergency that will have a serious impact on life on this planet if we don't do something about it. That's what pisses them off, is that the government doesn't seem to be saying too much about it. We're doing their job for them. Perhaps they think that if they, if they did their job properly, they'd be unpopular. And people don't like change, do they? I mean, I could completely understand why people find it hard to address this issue. I find it hard to address this issue. I mean, it's a very upsetting place to be. But by ignoring it, you know, you don't go to your doctor uh, and... You want to go to your doctor to get the truth. You don't want him to go. You don't want your doctor just to tell you what you want to hear, do you? Yeah, but, you I want my, but, but, but I want my doctor to, to fundamentally change things. I don't want my doctor just to shout. And that's the I, yeah, that's the issue. That I understand what you're saying, but I just still don't see how you know Extinction Rebellion. They've changed their tactics. They say we've got to stop annoying people because when we annoy people, we actually stop them thinking along the lines we want to, them to think a, uh, along. We actually push them further away from the goal that we're seeking. To attain is that not a worry for you that the more you wind people up the more you seek unpopularity actually you harm your cause rather than propagate it graham i think you need to show evidence that that's the case because i haven't seen any evidence that that's the case what i've seen okay. is an, uh, a steadily increasing concern from ordinary people like us just up well ordinary people about the severity of the climate crisis that we're facing 
So I think we are making a difference. And that's what it is, really. He, they're annoyed the government isn't scaring the public enough into compliance, into going along with it. And he's lying when he says that he is seeing evidence that the public are becoming more concerned. I reckon of late, the evidence is to the contrary. Of late, you've got Londoners coming out in massive numbers to protest, you know, ultra low emission zone regulations brought in by the absolute dipsticks to decan in London. People are taking to civil disobedience in London, you know, defacing and covering up cameras that are, you know, um, you know, that would be recording the movements of motorists around London and what have you. So the evidence to me is to the contrary. Do you know who we've not heard from for ages on this programme? And I think it's because even the mainstream media has gotten sick of him. It's uh, the little pipsqueak Owen Jones who writes for The Guardian. He's not much use for anything, really, apart from the odd laugh. A virtue signalling goon, Owen Jones. You know this guy, this little man? Um, he was on Good Morning Britain this morning and he invoked the suffragettes when talking about Just Stop Oil and the climate crisis, Owen Jones. Suffragettes didn't, didn't just they? sabotage the Grand National. They bombed and they and I'm not recommending... I'm not just... Before no. I get dragged off by the police, I'm not recommending Just Stop Oil do that. But the suffragettes did far more than, than anything Just Stop Oil did. They smashed apart galleries uh, and actually five people died during their campaign. Uh, people look back and go, well, look, whatever we think about the suffragettes' tactics, the cause they were fighting for was far... was, was a... Well, the injustice was far more evil. All I'd say is, this is the test is, how's this going to look in 30 years, this discussion? Mm. How's it going to look when we have more... <laughs> no, no, Owen Jones, I don't understand him to be qualified in anything. He might have some Mickey Mouse second in some shitty course from some university. Possibly in journalism, I have no idea. But he's not qualified to say what he says next without being interrupted. Listen to this crap. Extreme droughts, famines, extreme weather events, millions of people driven from their homes. As we just discussed, you've been discussing today, we had the hottest day on earth mm. since records began on Tuesday. The second hottest day was Monday. The yeah, I, I debunked this yesterday. Forget about when records began. There was a time 56 million years ago when there were tropical conditions in the Arctic and the Antarctic. There were no human beings around. This is bullshit and he's not qualified to talk about it. The consequences of that are millions of people. I'm sorry to be... Wait for this. People watching breakfast, getting up. It's, we want to be cheerful. Are you going to do millions, a doom and gloom? Millions of people are going to die. I'm really sorry to have to spell this out. Millions of people are going to die. Millions of people are going to die, says Owen Jones, who writes opinion pieces for The Guardian. Poorly written, ill thought out, very badly argued opinion pieces. And millions of people are going to die, says Owen Jones. That's because we've put emissions into the atmosphere, trapped yeah, in the heat, and it has consequences. It's a climate. We've put emissions in the atmosphere, trapped in the heat, and there's going to be consequences. Christ. That sounded very scientific, didn't it? This is what the, the phrase that they are desperate for us to use. They're desperate for the government to stop putting out oil. Catastrophe. Yeah, catastrophe. Well, parliament, oil licenses. Parliament already passed a law saying it's a climate emergency. It's mm. already the official position of this mm. country <laughs> that we have a climate emergency. But Quentin, so can you see things change? He's sitting next to Quentin Letts, and I thought that. Quinton Letts might take him to the cleaners, but he didn't. We'll leave it alone. It's 19 and a half minutes past the hour. Yeah, I nearly said to the hour. It isn't. Hi to Jonathan. Hi, Jonathan, um, who's a, a new member or is a new downloader of the app. Nice to have you on board. Hi to Drew. Hi to Scouse Andy. Thank you, Scouse Andy, who says, I'm starting to be of the opinion 
the opinion that the Just Stop Oil protests are a psyop to condition the public to detest protests which oppose government legislation. If enough people denounce protests, which are ultimately for a good cause, but are carried out in a disruptive way, then less people will be inclined to protest about anything in the future for the fear of being ridiculed and hated, regardless of it being peaceful or disruptive. And in Scouse Andy's opinion, this is what the government ultimately wants, and they'll be free to impose anything they like in the future, unopposed by the general public. That is a well-made argument, Andy. I like that. Hi to Mark, hi to Luke, who says it's got nothing to do with artificial intelligence, but all to do with banning crossbows, says Luke. This is the the guy who had a chatbot girlfriend who said, yeah, good idea. You you seem to be trained. Go and, go and shoot the queen. Yeah. Lillian says 6% of crimes only go to court. And yet your guest tonight was brought to court. Well, Jane, Dr. Jane Dunnigan was taken before a tribunal. Lillian, something a bit different. Peter Gregson says, I remember a joke I read on a swing in the park in black marker pen in the 1976 uh, help the local police force by beating yourself up. He was in a park in 1976. He saw a a logo or he saw a um, a, um, a little note on a bench, presumably. Help the local police force by beating yourself up. Hi to Marcus. And I hope you get over your throat infection, Mar- Marcus. Paul says, regardless of the merits or otherwise of the climate arguments, these people are finding a messianic, a messianic self-aggrandizing identity through this apocalyptic histronia, abandoning reasoned argument and process. And I to Gabriel, Gabriel who says the only statue these climate change goons will see is the Statue of Liberty as represented in the final scene of the Planet of the Apes after they had silently stood by and ignored the real threat of nuclear annihilation. Thank you for those comments. Very interesting. 22 minutes. It is past the hour. This is the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live from Salford and BBG Towers. Broadcasting, of course, on the app on richieallen.co.uk. We're also on Fab Radio 2, the TuneIn app. And these days, we are streaming, of course, on Rumble in Vision, at least for the time being, in any case. For the time being. Thank you for your messages. Again, I know I just said that. I really do appreciate them. Keeps me going. Keeps me going. Steve reckons Jones is a fear-mongering idiot. And he's put a link on Comment Live to some debunking of the climate nonsense. Faisal says Jones is literally saying not enough people are dying on climate change protests. Someone should throw him under a horse to cheer him up a bit, says Faisal. I don't mind that. <laughs> Well, Jenny went into her local library. The manager was in there. Jenny said, when are you going to remove the polystyrene? Because it definitely creates a barrier between people. This is a shield that kind of went up presumably during the COVID bollocks, Jenny. Anyway, the manageress said the staff were happy to have it for their safety. And I replied that they don't realise just how much they have been lied to. She gave me a look and shrugged, so I didn't perceive it. No point. Not all, but most of the shops have removed the polystyrene. It tends to be council and government-run buildings where they still have it, says Jenny. Good comment, Jenny. I've seen it once or twice in recent months, and I'm wondering, is it um, w- w- would they have been in municipal buildings? Maybe. 
Donald says it's lashing down in West Cork today. That's climate change, Donald. Diane says, hi, Diane. These stop oil people are sick. Narrative is one thing. Evidence is a different creature. Look out the window. It's pissing down in Chile. Not much of a summer so far, says Diane, who's got a short memory. Come on, Diane. We had two and a half great weeks in June. That seems to have been our summer. Trevor says, wouldn't it be better if the police actually caught more criminals than they employ? And that's a good question, too. What does Keir Starmer, the Prime Minister in waiting, think of Just Stop Oil? I can't wait for them to stop their antics, frankly. He cannot wait for them to stop their antics. He cannot wait for them to stop their antics. He's not calling for them to be billy club back to the fucking Stone Age, which is what should happen when they take to the streets to slow down traffic, get the billy clubs out, send them to hospital. I don't mean that, really. I, I hope they stop soon, says Keir Starmer. Um, you know, they're interrupting iconic sporting events that, um, you know, part of our uh, history tradition massively look forward to um, across the nation. And this, you know, I, I absolutely condemn... Um, the way they go about their uh, tactics. Um, and I have to say it's riddled with an arrogance that um, only they have the sort of right to force their argument on other people in this way. Um, the best, the single best way to uh, ensure our economy thrives in the future and that we have clean, affordable energy is actually the election of a Labour government and the mission I set out on clean energy by 2030. But um, just stop oil, uh, as I say, the, the arrogance of what they do, the interruption of, you know, events which mean a lot to the nation. Um, I, you know, I, I, I can't wait for them to stop that. But, but I wonder, do, do, are they more effective at getting their message across? I cannot wait for them to stop. So it's up to them, really, says Keir Starmer. I just wish they'd stop, you know. Some leader you'll be, dipstick. It's actually because of their modus operandi than politicians are. No, I think they put more people off. Um, I think that um, it is totally counterproductive. It, it's wrong. It shouldn't happen. The police have got the powers to deal with it. But this argument that you need more powers, you don't need more powers. Um, you just need a government that makes it absolutely clear to the police that the powers they've got and get on and remove them. You've got the power. Start playing Snap. Was it Snap who had that song out that will be stuck in your head now for the rest of the day? Fill the power, Taylor's walk-on music. I've got the power. Yeah, just tell them, look, you have the power. Just throw these goons into the back of a paddy wagon. Lock them up for two or three days until they eventually get sick of them getting thrown into a paddy wagon and locked up. That's the thing. No need for violence, I wouldn't have said. I could have played you some Angela Rayner. She was on James O'Brien's programme today. That was fun. Talking about protest laws, anti-protest laws and what have you. But I'll spare you that. It's 27 minutes past the hour. This is the Richie Allen Show, the Thursday edition of it. Standing by, waiting patiently in the wings is Dr. Jane Dunnigan. What a lovely person she is, by the way. Great, um, great to have a chat with her again. She was on a month ago. The tribunal wound up. It was recommended that she be struck off the medical register. She doesn't give a damn. And that isn't, that isn't posturing now by Jane. She asked them three years ago to take her name off the medical register. But they wanted to make an example of her because she had some thought-provoking things to say about vaccination. You know, and whether or not children would be better off. Maybe having 
diet and exercise and do some natural things to strengthen their immune system rather than give them the toxic pus. Jane never said that. She never said toxic pus rather than give them vaccines. And she never, ever, ever recommended that a parent not vaccinate their child. Never did. No, nowhere. And um, yeah, it was a, a witch hunt, really. And, and I think it's kind of the establishment's way of saying to younger doctors, not that Jane's an old lady, far from it, but, you know, newly qualified and newly registered doctors. Don't even think about talking about vaccines in any negative way because you'll go the way of people like Dr. Jane Dunnigan, so you will. This is your Richie Allen Show. I'm Richie Allen. And this is George Harrison. Dr. Jane Dunnigan, live next. So George Harrison, great stuff. What is life on the Richie Allen Show? Just a quick message for Angela. Angela, I saw your tweet. Thank you. And I'll be in touch about that. That's really nice. Thank you very much. Uh, if you're interested in what's happening at Headingley, England are now 22 for two, having bowled Australia out for 263. Uh, 25 for two now, England. Uh, ben Duckett and Harry Brook are gone. Joe Root is in at the crease and it's all going a bit Pete Tong maybe for England. Maybe. Anyway, two more important matters. And um, let me read you the headline in the Telegraph today. Anti-vaccine GP delighted to be struck off after Telegraph expose. You know this story because we've been fortunate enough over the last few years to speak to Jane, to Dr. Jane Duddingham on this programme about this issue, about this tribunal that she was summoned to appear before, which she declined to appear before. Jane has been asking the General Medical Council for a number of years to remove her name from, from the register, right? Jane was um, stalked by undercover so-called journalists asking her questions, trying to trip her up and she said things that I heard from doctors going back years when I started in the media that, um, you know, it's good for kids if they pick up a couple of um, illnesses when they're young, it boosts their immune system. She said she might prefer that a child does boost their his or her immune system naturally, you know, through good food and exercise, rather than always rely on inoculation. The things she said were very reasonable. And at no time, at no point did Jane tell a parent what to do. To, you know, to, to, she never said at any time, don't have a jab or don't get the child jab. But they went after her pretty hard. Um, she didn't care. She's been practicing homeopathy for some years. Got a website, which of course we'll mention later. But they had this tribunal. It wound up and they gave their decision in the last couple of days. Unsurprisingly, they recommended she be removed from the register. But she wasn't posturing. Um, when she said she doesn't care, she's glad. I'm delighted to welcome back to the programme uh, Dr. Jane Dunnigan. Jane, welcome back. How are you? Uh, good afternoon, Richie, and thank you very much for uh, inviting me. No, you're welcome. Yes, it's, it's a strange old world, isn't it? And uh, the, the thing about the GMC is ever since 2007, when I was uh, taken in front of the GMC panel because of the information on vaccination I'd given in the English High Court, which the repeal court called junk science, they did me because of what I said about vaccination. And actually, the full thing of what I said about vaccination in terms of these mothers who didn't want to vaccinate their daughters and the fathers who did want them vaccinated, is that basically, irrespective of what I'd said in the previous um, part of the report, I said, if two parents uh, are separated and they can't agree, then 
the person who has day-to-day care should make the decision because they have to, you know, they have to manage with the consequences. But the fact that I'd said anything about vaccination was just, they flung the book at me. And at the end of it, it, there was a terrible result from the point of view of the General Medical Council because the panel said I hadn't failed to be independent, objective and unbiased in what I said. And the GMC barrister from the very beginning who said every, I want to suggest to you that every page was coloured with her desire to, uh, you know, say that the children shouldn't have vaccines. At the end, he had to say, well, actually, a large amount of what um, Dr. Donegan said was correct and not misleading. So they found, the GMC found my opinion on vaccination correct then, and they've hated it ever since. Yeah. And, and you what haven't they hated most the was I said I was the only doctor in the country whose opinion had been tested in such a way. And they didn't appeal at the time because the decision was so strong. They didn't say they hadn't managed to find me guilty. They said they were sure I hadn't failed to be independent, objective and unbiased. And this is like a backdoor attempt. But again, they failed to show that I've done anything incorrect in terms of vaccination, which is what they wanted to do. Matt Hancock said, vaccination is safe and effective it's a wonder of modern medicine and i modern medicine and i condemn anyone who says anything different and i've been through this whole sham trial it's taken four weeks uh, four, sorry four years and three weeks in this thing and they still haven't managed to find that my opinion on vaccination is incorrect no and i think when we spoke last time again look i'm going to just say to our listeners i'm not going to pretend to be devil's advocate here because everything jane has said since day one is accurate and I've, I've double checked I've cross referenced every comment she made went back to the 2007 case everything Jane has said is true um, she was, th- this was all tested in 2007 and they found that Jane's conduct and her um, her opinions on vaccines and medicines were right on and were fair and were qualified nothing has changed since then in terms of what Jane has been saying but they've gone after her my personal opinion I can't prove it is um, this has a lot to do with the COVID jabs. I have no doubt in my mind that this is um, is relevant because um, obviously they were desperate for everybody in the country to have these jabs. I dug out yes. some text messages the other day. You wouldn't believe this by accident. I was looking for a contact for somebody. I have a head like a sieve, Jane, right? And I don't write yes. things down enough. I'm really bad at that. I'm terrible at keeping lists and what have you. So I went all the way back to 2020 21 to find a number for somebody and would you believe I came across text message after text message after text message each one getting increasingly frantic come and have your COVID jab come and have your COVID jab and then come and have your booster or your first COVID jab come and have your booster it was absolutely relentless so I think it's tied into that I think what was going on back then what do you think well this whole thing blew up in 2019 which was just before COVID came yeah. in. And when we must have been having COVID cases before they decided to start the hysteria. Um, and at that time, you know, people forget this, just the same as once we started the war in Ukraine, everybody forgot about COVID. But um, there had been a relentless campaign for MMR vaccination, demonization of parents, demonization of any health professionals who um, honoured the, the law on consent or followed the duties of a doctor or whatever their official body was. So, Yes, in terms of COVID, but irrespective of COVID, there is this overarching um, uh, aim to get us vaccinated. I don't think they care really what it is, because during COVID, we also had the monkeypox scare and trying to make all those gay people go off and have the monkeypox vaccine. And you think they'd have learned after the after what happened with those HIV drugs. And then they told everybody there was uh, polio in the sewage and all these terrified parents were going to get a polio jab, which nobody was telling them was hepatitis B diphtheria, tetanus, polio, whooping cough and hib. And as I said to a few people who, who contacted me 
how many of your children drink sewage? I mean, how many of your children even drink the water out of the bowl in your lavatory? (laughs) You know, people don't stop and think. No, I, I, again, this is just conjecture, just opinion. I, I believe there's been a conditioning going on yes. for many years to, to dumb yes. people down. I don't know if we mentioned this last time. I think this happened the day after you spoke to me last time, but Johns Hopkins University. How did you feel when it came out after it had looked at existing studies? It had looked at hundreds and hundreds of studies. And Johns Hopkins, which is you know, renowned and regarded as being a bit of a doyen when it comes to, y- mm. you know, making proclamations about things. It said that um, lockdowns, the benefits of the first lockdown was a drop in the bucket compared to the collateral costs, including the impact on the well-being of children, the well-being of young men and women, of older people. It said it might have saved maybe as many as 1,700 lives. This was put out there by The Telegraph, by The Independent, but it got very little coverage on the BBC or Sky or any of the other, I suppose you call them the legacy um, media channels. You must have thought, well, duh. I mean, we we said this, right? That is the exact word, duh. So please notice also, as you said, The Telegraph covered it, but it didn't stop them from having a go at me, although they did very nicely say that I was delighted to be struck off. And the worst penalty would have been uh, 10 more years compulsory registration with the GMC. Uh, But the thing is, once you see, once you see what's going on, and I've been looking at the vaccination issue, not just vaccination, vaccination, statins, um, thyroid treatment, um, uh, and uh, uh, antidepressants for ages, it's all the same agenda. So when I saw the whole thing revving up, I knew, I knew it was wrong. I knew it was a scam. And one of the things that we've done now is we've got this altar of science. So we bow down to science and we don't look at where the science come from, comes from. You know, someone has to pay for it. Then someone has to agree that what you've produced is OK. And then you've got to get a journal to take it. I think I said this last time. And what people have done is they've handed over their um, authority to these scientists and nobody's using any common sense. Which is where your dir comes from. The dir is, is the common sense. From, yeah. What about news this week? I said we'd, we we wouldn't dwell too much on what happened at the tribunal because yes. you ultimately got what you wanted anyway, which was yeah. to get well, away from Well, not quite, it. not quite. No, I'm, no, no. I, I'm no. still on the register for another 28 days. Oh, oh that's right. Yeah, you mentioned this yes, to me in the meeting. sadly, me- I'm yeah. still on the register another 28 days. So I won't be cock- popping open the bottle of champagne quite yet. Well, yeah, we'll have a beer. We'll have a beer, yeah. a virtual have a jar, beer. Have a yeah. jar. <laughs> and we'll have a jar in 28 <laughs> days. But I did say that there's been some obviously very interesting developments medically recently. One of them was, again, the emergence. I think us for them, the the parenting group, found some documentation that showed in late 2020, Sage and the government was told categorically that closing schools wouldn't really have any benefit and it would really harm children. And yet they went ahead and did it anyway. I mean, that's astonishing, isn't it? Well, it's not because like the mask, the mask is a sign of how scary it is. It's a visible sign on everyone's face. And then also you start breaking up social structure because no one can see people's expression anymore. It was a visible sign to show everybody how terrible it was. And having the schools closed was another reinforcing sign of how terrible everything was. And so it served its purpose in that way because the purpose wasn't to keep us safe. Because if it were about keeping us safe, you know, when they talk about the the prime minister, the ex-prime minister, Mr. Johnson, you know, they're all saying, oh, he's so naughty, he broke the rules. But that's not the point. The point is that he and all his jolly friends 
they're a bunch of cowards. You think they'd seriously have gathered together if they thought they were going to die? They knew it was a load of rubbish. So it's not the fact they broke the rules. It's the fact they knew it was a load of rubbish and that they were perfectly safe. That is the big issue. That's the thing that really frustrates me, that people go screaming on social media about how virtuous they were in protecting Granny during lockdowns and how terribly selfish he was, instead of making the logical intellectual leap, Jane, which is, as you just beautifully illustrated there, haha, they weren't very scared of it at all. No, <laughs> they knew. They knew it was very... Liberal. Well, it's like that Professor Ferguson. He was there with his married woman, whose husband had COVID, um, obviously not too worried about, about getting it himself, at the very same time that he was uh, saying that the lockdown should be increased in, I, in its severity. Can I ask you a question that's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I, I do kind of mean it as well. How does somebody like you preserve your sanity in the last couple of years, knowing things uh, are so obviously blatant? and yet to see people continually fall for them. That can be dangerous. I mean, I, you strike me when you come on as somebody with a sense of humour. You're very genial. But you're also very knowledgeable. And you know that this is, to use a well-worn Irish phrase, bollocks, really, excuse my language. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, well, and that's, you, what I call, that's what we call the dishonesty charge. We didn't use that word. We used bogus, yeah. which has the same woody feel, but is slightly politer. Um, well, sense of humour is what it is. And the other thing is not giving way to despair because there's a lot of people seeing what's going on and they just see themselves being clamped down, stuck into, uh, you know, electronic money, people knowing exactly where they are every single time. And we have to console ourselves in, in certainly in England um, and I think probably in Ireland more than more than in other countries like, for example, Germany, because in a country like Germany, you know, they have Vorsprung durch Technik. They're efficient. They get things done. They are single-minded. In this country, in the UK, we've just become a load of bumblers. We can't do anything. We can't even make the trains run on time. And that is going to save us. The fact we can't manage to do anything in a systematic way is going to save us from totalitarianism. Do you think so? That ultimately yeah. they won't be able to do what it I is? Just, it, it'll collapse? Well, they can't manage, what can they manage to do properly? That's a, that's a point, isn't it? That's yeah. a question. And also, and also the thing is, the, whatever's going on, whatever it is, I think of it as the beast, you know, things like fear, despair, hopelessness, they feed the beast and things like happiness and thinking about how nice people are. I mean, I've met so many, I, I must say some of the people that I used to have as quite dear friends, it's not that I've stopped having them as friends, they've just sort of dropped off the side of my radar. And that, But I've met lots of other very nice people. And the main thing is we still have to keep seeing like God in every other person we meet. You know, there are so many good people around, so many nice people around. And that's what we have to keep on looking for. And, and small things like, you know, the clouds in the sky. OK, people talk about jet trails. But we have to look at the small little bits, friendship, family, animals, singing, playing the guitar. That's what I like doing. You know, these are the things that make it worthwhile living. And the rest of it, when you look at history, and I'm not a, a great historian in that I didn't study it at school because it was blocked with physics, but looking back just in the 19th century, so 18-whatever, Germany wasn't a country. It was a, it was a collection of states. Italy wasn't a country. It was a collection of states. Right, to think that we should be sitting here and the world's going to stay like it was in the 1950s forever is actually to be the opposite of every other period in history we've ever been. So we have to expect change. I love it. Positivity on a Thursday. Tell me this, how proficient on the old guitar are you? 
Uh, well, I can only do chords, but um, I, what I make up in proficiency, I, I uh, so no, what I don't have in proficiency, I make up for an enthusiasm. I mean, I'm sure you're brilliant. I'm sure you're brilliant at a, at a shindig. You can you can put a few. If you can put three okay. or four chords together, you can do well. You can do thousands of songs, right? Yeah, thousands of songs. Yeah, that's it. So I love singing. I love playing. And, uh, and and in the summer I go and I go and cook in a summer camp and I play guitar around the fire in the evening. Fantastic! That's the Irish in you. Sarah has it asked. Is. Sarah has asked this. Richie Jane mentioned thyroid treatment earlier. Can Jane elaborate on that and what does she mean? Okay, so what we used to do with thyroids or thyroids, people with thyroid problems, was we used to examine them. So the ones who had too much thyroid would have a fast heart beat, and if you put your hands out there'd be a fine tremor in the hands and they might be a bit skinny and they might be a bit too hot and uh, always their periods would be upset and if they had low thyroid they might be a bit slow they might be a bit cold their skin might be a bit thick um, and they might uh, have their periods <laughs> upset both ways now we rely just on the test and so the test is only for one type of our thyroid so there's different types of thyroxine there's t4 thyroxine there's t3 and there's reverse t3 and we look, we look at those and we look at the thyroid stimulating hormone, but all we give people is T4. So there's a whole movement in terms of um, thyroid disease looking at whether or not you're better off giving the whole thyroid, which has got everything in it. And there are preparations available under the uh, US, USP, US Pharmacopeia. Um, and because we've stopped looking at people's actual clinical situation, we just look at the number. So some people, for example, are being undertreated for their thyroid, partly because they're only getting T4 um, and partly because uh, they might need more, rather than looking at them, not examining them. So we say, oh, no, here's the test. And we don't look at the person. And this is a big problem in medicine, and it's becoming more acute. Oh, we'll just send you for some scans. And we don't put a hand on the patient. I hope that's satisfying, Sarah. That's... Um Really interesting to me, Jane, that this is stuff yeah. I knew knew or know absolutely nothing about. Yes. And, and that kind of segues into something else we can talk about for a few minutes then. It's um, 12 and a half minutes to the top of the hour. Dr. Jane Dunnigan is live on Thursday's Richie Allen radio show. It's marvellous to have Jane back on the show. Yesterday, wasn't it? 75? Say, lovely to be here. Anyway, thanks, Jane. Yeah, thanks for coming on. 75 years old, the NHS yesterday. Does that mean anything to you? What does the NHS mean to Dr. Jane Donegan today in light of everything that's gone on and what did it mean to you when you got into medicine? It's uh, the difference between black and white and night and day. I got into medicine, uh, I started uh, being a medical student in 78 and I qualified in 83 and there were still consultants there then that I regarded, I would describe them as gentlemen. There is a, gentleman is a particular sort of word, a particular sort of politeness and uh, and respect and courtesy, not just to the patients, but to the nursing staff and to the to the medical students and everybody. They were, they were I'd call them gentlemen, and they did come along in their pinstripe suits and whatever. And we were all working towards a common good, and we were like a family. I was a family with the physios and the the nurses and the ward orderlies and the people who made the food. And the the food used to come up on those big. Um, metal things with all the boiling water in it and after the patients had all been fed the poor young doctors who hadn't got near a canteen in the last two days you know would be given a plate of food as opposed to now if you're in somewhere like St Thomas's Hospital that it comes in plated from Cardiff because <laughs> it's cheaper than making food in your own basement and we all worked together and and then it all changed when everything became who will give the cheapest tender so for example you'd have a ward or the, the person who was the ward orderly 
they, they'd have been on the ward for 20 years. You know, they keep it spick and span. They'd run the kitchen. They'd just about give their life's blood to, to keep that ward going. But once we started doing these competitive tenders, it didn't. they didn't care what you did. They just cared how cheap you were. And there'd be no um, uh, tenure. You know, you wouldn't know that your job was safe because every year it would still have to be the cheapest one. So after a while, I mean, there are still some brave souls who still give their heart and soul. But it became, you know, why should I put my, myself out? Because it's just how much, how much cheapness it is, how much money it is. And I, I don't get anything extra for doing that extra thing or staying an extra half an hour or cleaning up that extra bit of mess or something or giving somebody a cup of tea when um, when it's not the right time for tea, you know. So the whole thing has just fallen apart because we've lost the family spirit that we had where we were all in it together because it's just been how can I get the cheapest person and if you're and you might not be here next year because um the 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 tender for the whole hospital isn't more competitive than this other one was that um late Thatcher uh, major and then Blair or was it Blair when when we saw this happen and and targets I think well a lot of it was Thatcher now I must say in terms of Margaret Thatcher may she rest in peace I mean she's like a saint now compared to the politicians compared to what we we have have now now. (laughs) and uh, what she did the the thing that she did that was terrible was she made this internal market so instead of uh, the NHS just being money so some of it would go to GPs and, and there'd be all these cottage hospitals that people would have in locally and the GPs would oversee them and there'd be hospitals as well she made it so that you couldn't just send your patient to a hospital. You had to buy their treatment. So then the hospitals had to start um, saying how much that treatment would cost. And then we started a whole extra layer of all the administrators who had to administrate all these doctors, GPs paying for treatment and hospitals making tenders. And the NHS, where which people pay into because they just want a service, started becoming, well, this is the box for the hospital and this is the box for the GPs. And that's when it started falling apart. And I think the NHS used to cost about 5% of our gross national product, whereas in America it costs something like 25%. And now we're up at 15 or more percent. From when she did it, it got more expensive. And when people talk then about when we move into the 90s and the Blair years... And yes. people said that Blair's government introduced not just to the NHS, but also to policing and pretty much every public service, um, a system of, of, of targets for departmental targets. What exactly does, can you sum that up in, in the plainest of English, not for my listeners, but for me, what did that mean, targets? Well, there were things such as, for example, vaccinations. So doctors would do what they could do and they and their cervical smears and all these things. So they had this idea that um, rather than so we didn't get rather than getting an item of service, the, the GPs get actually quite a small amount overall per patient. I think you get something like 30 pounds or 40 pounds for each person for year for a year over the for a person over 75. And it's less for other people that you'd start having to get your items of service based on if you hit targets. So it used to be that you'd get paid for doing the immunizations, but now you only got paid if you hit the 70% target. And if you hit the 70% target and you were an average GP with an average 2,000 list size and an average number of children under the age of five, um, you'd get uh, X amount. But if you hit the 90% target, then you'd get three times that amount. So it's quite a big difference, quite a big differential. So people would be chasing doing that um, because people work because they like to earn money. Um, but you couldn't put all your unvaccinated children on one GP. You had to spread them over the whole lot. So your your child might be making the whole practice of six doctors be at 89.999%. And so they might be missing out on thousands and thousands. Um, this coming year, they're changing it. They're changing it from 70 
and 95 to what is it? I think it's eight. It's no from 70 and 90 to 80 and 95. So you can expect doctors and GP surgery is going to be turbocharged in trying to make sure people um, get these these jabs. And by the way, when you mentioned about looking back at your phone with all these text messages becoming more and more frantic. I think people need to put their foot down and say, you may contact me by letter and by email. But this idea that they can text you and ring you up when you're in the middle of the supermarket checkout, you're having a uh, an intimate conversation or a distressing time trying to you know, help somebody do something and they can just ring you up. So I advise people to contact their practice and say, under UK GDPR, which is General Data Protection Regulations, you have my data and I'm refusing permission for you to contact me by phone or text. You may only contact me by letter or email. And if they persist in doing it, you say, if you do not stop this, I'm going to contact the data controller for your um, your health authority. Because it's just an, uh, it's just outrageous, really, that people should be harassed in this way. Yeah. Do you remember at that time, they discussed sending persuaders around to people's houses? Do you remember this? I was waiting for them to come to my doorstep. I can only imagine you were waiting for them. I can imagine uh, uh, yeah. the, the reception you would have given them. But yeah, I, I, I kept a, a, a phone device handy at all times so that I could, you know, I was going to be polite, just like yourself, firm but polite, so that if they did, I could maybe secretly record the conversation for use on the radio show, which is maybe not the most noble thing to do, oh, to yes. secretly record. Well, but that's what I was going to do at the time. Yeah, persuaders. It was so yeah. dystopian, wasn't it, at yeah, the time looking back? persuade people, yes. Well, I mean, this is the whole thing to do with... So the only... Uh, talking about my case that we're not talking about, the only thing they managed to find me guilty of was they said allegedly... Um, uh, encouraging parents to misinform health professionals. Well, any of the ways I mentioned were told to me by parents. And if you could see the reception that some parents have when they take their child to hospital for care, only because they're worried, the bullying, the hectoring, the shouting, and worse than that, because you might you might think, oh, what well, serves them right, then they should have to stand up for their views, which they shouldn't have to because it's not compulsory. But there are children who actually have unnecessary and harmful children, uh, treatment given to them. So, for example... Um, they'll be taken in and have an intravenous drip put in their arm and be given 48 hours of intravenous antibiotics until all the tests and the cultures come back negative. Now, this is absolutely the treatment you give in a person who's dangerously ill. You can't wait till you get the actual results. But when it's for the sole purpose of the sole reason that the person doesn't have a history of vaccination, it's almost punitive. And of course, the child's separated from their mum. They have their a needle stuck in their arm. They destroy their gut bacteria. You know, it's actually harmful. It's it's more than, um, you know, just being shouted at. It's actually harmful to the child. And interestingly, they didn't manage to find anybody who'd actually been harmed by somebody saying up to date when asked about the vaccination status. But only benefit, which was people accessing medical treatment and getting appropriate and timely medical care. It's mind blowing stuff, this, isn't it? It's like, it it, is. again, that we're talking on this program. Look, we have a nice, healthy listenership. But it, I, I haven't said this for a long time. My listeners might roll their eyes. But you should be having these discussions on the BBC, really, shouldn't you, really? I mean, that's where it, it should, should be happening. It should be discussed on the BBC, but of course it won't be. Never. It'll never be. Uh, and, and one of the funniest things is they didn't actually manage to find, they didn't strike me off for my views on vaccination, only for this point. Although what they wanted to do was to shut me up. But one, one of the things they did say, and that a GMC expert said, was uh, uh, it's going to be difficult to write this report, he said in private correspondence with the GMC, because most of what Dr. Donegan says is correct, only it's just one side of the story. Now, this makes me roll in the aisles. 
Can you tell me what other side of the story most people get when they go anywhere near any doctor about, say, vaccination? And can you tell me the other side of the story that was given when we were locking people up in their houses, forcing them to wear face masks, denying them the ability to go to work? Where was the other side? Yeah, these are things, again, I, I don't have any medical knowledge or training, but um, I, I, I did notice, I worked in the legacy media, I worked in mainstream media for years, and yes. I did, and I'm, a, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm somebody with a very good memory. I read the broadsheets cover to cover every day, I've been doing that for 25 years, and I remember things. And I remember reading, because every now and then in the late 90s, there was a dissent. There was a dissenting, yes. wasn't there? In the papers, they but they're gone yeah, now. They but Christopher Booker wrote something in The Telegraph 20 odd years ago, where mm. he talked about, the, we, we had a couple of jabs. We've gone from a couple of jabs. And I was horrified when I read this. I didn't realise this was true until I cross-referenced his own, his own article and, and, and cross-referenced his facts. But he yes. said, we've gone from a couple of jabs We've now gone to seven, eight, nine, I think it was at the time. And as I understand it today, kids will get as many as a dozen or more by the time they're six or seven years old, maybe more. Oh, yes, yes. Well, you're, you're talking about dozens of shots, but, you know, shots, six, yeah. one's got six things in it, you know, and then you and but yeah. So it's, it's in, in the deck. It's in the tens, you know, tens of tens um, that people actually get now. And with that, as far as I can see, it, asthma has been increasing, eczema has been increasing. And I, I don't know about you, Richie, but when I was at school, um, everybody was just sort of, you know, like the same as me. We didn't have all these people with special uh, learning needs, no. special educational needs. No, no, no. I went uh, to St. Saviour's Primary School in Ballybeg in Wardford, a big school yeah. with a large, you know, student body, if you can say mm. Six-year-olds and seven-year-olds are student body, but a huge. Yeah. Um, no, and I, and this is not me misremembering or looking back with rose-tinted spectacles. No, they did not. I went to high school, St. Paul's yeah. Community College, Browns Road, Waterford. Nobody had an inhaler in my class. No. Yeah. We had one person in our school who had very bad asthma and a barrel-shaped chest, and she was really unusual. A retired GP said to me on this programme several years ago, this predated COVID now, Yes. And it was on, it was on um, the NHS and it was on treating symptoms but not treating the cause, which is something you do. You treat the cause through homeopathy. Yes. And the retired GP, it was a lady, said to me, she said, uh, originally from, um, from Norway, funnily enough, she said, your NHS is now, if you watch, she said, if you watch gangster films, so the gangsters, they buy, they buy in these big um, drugs, or they, they, or, they, or they grow them, you know, they grow them. And then they put drug dealers out on the street to go and sell these things. And she equated the National Health Service here and Ireland's Health Board or Health Service Executive. She equated them as basically being pimps for big pharma. Yes. Is that fair, that? Um, or is that I a bit much? I think it is, although I don't think that doctors, they're not sitting there thinking I'm a pimp for big pharma. They're just doing, they don't use... I don't know why they need to be doctors and why they need to be trained because all they do is follow guidelines apart from the guidelines they don't follow and they don't investigate things and they poo poo people who do investigate things and and because it, it with a sort of they're ignorant they're arrogant in their ignorance 
I want to ask you a question, but it's um, just gone six o'clock. Am I eating into your evening? Um, no, no, it's no. I'm I'm fine. I thought you've probably got to do the do a news flash or something. No, no, God, no, 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 no. I'm happy for you to stick around for another 10, 15 minutes if you don't yeah. mind, because there's so much happening at the moment. Another thing which is raising concern for listeners, and I'm not trying to. You might be wound up by the talk about vaccines, so if you are, tell me to stop, and I'll segue into something else. But there's obviously a big vaccine story this week. Um, in fact, it's, it was a big story in November last year, but it's only been rubber stamped this week. They're going to offer the flu jab to secondary school kids. And they're using the old chestnut about if you inoculate um, youngsters against the flu, it'll protect granny and granddad. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The hot strings. Any, well, any thoughts on that this well, week? Well, um, in America, where they always do it first and then we follow... Uh, there was a, a, a study by Brownstein at Al, and basically what they looked at was they looked at flu in the winter and they showed that children, according to what they were saying, children had flu and it was a sort of an S-shaped curve. It just went up. And, th- and then about six weeks later, granny died. OK. And and they said, so this, this would support the idea of uh, vaccinating children against flu to save granny. And then th- but that's what, that was what the overall... Um, conclusion was but then when you read the paper what they actually show is that they said well one of the weaknesses of our study was that um we weren't actually testing the children for flu Uh, and i never tested i've never tested a child for flu ever we never tested children for flu the idea that children get flu they get respiratory syncytial virus and they get a a, a rhinovirus but we but we only guessed that because we we don't test it anyway so they said we we were we were just counting attendances uh, at um, emergency departments and doctors offices with uh, seasonal respiratory illnesses so they were and they weren't even testing granny to see if granny heaven forbid died of flu what they were ju- describing in this graph was that in the winter children get infectious diseases or with snot and colds cold-like symptoms and then also older people die more people die in the winter than die in the summer they do and that's one of those things it happens people die and but despite these witnesses, they said, however, you know, we think it's a robust policy to start vaccinating children um, in primary school. And then the USA took this up and started vaccinating them. So all these things are built on sand. You know, we've got people who, the children who don't even have flu. And the thing about the flu vaccine is it's it's not very reliable because it only has a couple of antigens in it, which people guess in March. They guess what is going to be there in September. So some years we say it's matched and some years we say it's not. But then we have this other thing, which is called IF, IF, no, yeah, I-L-I, which is influenza-like illness. And the majority of people have influenza-like illness and they don't have influenza. And apart from that, there's another thing called para-influenza. And, and, it, and also it doesn't make any difference against all these other respiratory viruses. And a long time ago, uh, Dr. Thomas Jefferson, who was a major... Uh, person in the vaccine part of the Cochrane collaboration, which until about 10 years ago was very independent, but it's not now. I won't tell you who's um, funding it, but anyway, you might guess. I can guess, yeah. And he's been writing for years. And surprisingly, what he's been saying has been published in the British Medical Journal for years, that basically there's no good evidence that giving flu vaccine um, stops people getting flu. And he said all the evidence, in fact, points to the opposite. And very interestingly for me, because I used to think vaccines were great and that everyone should have them and that people who didn't vaccinate, for example, their children were ignorant. And if they weren't ignorant, they were sociopathic to withhold what we saw as this life-saving intervention and, uh, and, and 
not contribute to herd immunity. So putting everybody else's children at risk. It took a lot of work and research to to manage to change that mindset. It was so deeply ingrained. But what I did notice when I was very keen on vaccines that as a, a new young GP in the 90s, that I would see these, um, in fact, it was 1988, um, I'd see these nice young people of about 21 and they'd come along and they'd say, I'm just starting my new job and I know I'm not supposed to be having the flu vaccine, but I really don't want to be ill. Would you be kind enough to give me the flu vaccine? And being a kind-hearted, young, new, newly minted GP, I'd say, yes, of course. And I used to give them the flu vaccine and they used to go over like nine pins. And I used to think, well, the other vaccines are all great, but this one's total rubbish. <laughs> As they would come down with the flu, yeah, having it, or worse, the yeah, they'd be really ill, you know. So, so that's a really useless vaccine, anyway. Sarah's been listening to you with great interest, Richie. I'm a learning support assistant in a senior school. We have approximately 18 members of staff in the department supporting children with special education needs. This tells you the scale of children who need support, and I've had this from another. Um, person who works in a similar job to Sarah to say that kids on the spectrum, kids with problems, off the charts really. And as far as I understand, when you mention this occasionally, if you get the chance, to somebody from officialdom, they say, ah, it's not the vaccines or other environmental factors. It's better diagnosis. That's the one. That's well, the, one. the thing about that is, these people that Sarah is supporting and good for her because it's a great job to do and it's very hard and it's so beneficial to those um, people. Um, they're really quite, they have quite big problems. You know, they're not invisible. It's easy to see that they have a problem. So where are all these adults? Where are all these 60 and 70 and 8 year olds and 80 year olds with these problems? Where are they? Because by now they'll have grown up because it's just they weren't diagnosed. So where are they? With their severe disabilities, we, yeah, older, just not diagnosed. Where are they? Another listener was on to ask, um, just going back to thyroid, and I won't keep you too much longer because I'm sure you have better things to do. Um, Sue says, could you ask Dr. Jane, is there anything natural we can take for thyroid? Sue says, been taking medication for 20 years for underactive thyroid. Do we know of anything natural that might help? Um, well, there are lots of things, um, things like um, iodine, and there's also a lot of seaweed derivatives. But I must tell you, people talk about Dr. Google, but there's a thing called Dr. Amazon. <laughs> Sorry if this upsets people. But if you want to know a lot about what you can do alternatively in medicine, um, you go to Amazon and put something like diabetes or thyroid. And, you know, for diabetes, they'll start talking to you about chromium and D3. And I think to myself, you know, I've gone through medical school. I've done all these postgraduate qualifications. I've been a GP for all these years. So how come I didn't know about B3 and chromium? And of course, I go and look it up and yeah, B3 and chromium. So if you want to start reading about ways of supporting your thyroid, you could do a lot worse than go to Dr. Amazon and find out the books about naturally supporting your thyroid. It's interesting you're saying this because like a lot of our listeners will obviously think that Bezos is the devil. They'll think that Amazon has destroyed the high street. And, and maybe it has, but it's had a lot of help from governments, of course, as well. Yeah. But I'm going to endorse what you said, because over the over the years, I've managed to pick up a couple of um, supplements, but completely natural supplements. Um, once, um, maybe I shouldn't say this, because I, I generally tend to be pretty private, me, but I had some pretty rotten constipation at one time, and I didn't want to get a prescription. And mm. um, I found a completely natural product I probably still have some of the old capsules in, in, a, in a box. But, but, but yeah, it was on Amazon that I found yeah. it. 
and yeah. uh, it was great in the end and I never had it never looked back never had it again and, and the thing is also you have all those people talking about their experience they say this is a total load of rubbish it's overpriced and it's useless and the other people saying it's transformed my life I've managed to stop all these tablets that I was taking so th the feedback is really really useful yes and I so I I look every now and again and I try and update myself because I learn from my patients you know when they say this such and such worked then I then I start telling other people I say well I can't I, I don't I can't endorse it but somebody's told me about this and they go off and try it and I build up my database That's because one of the things you sometimes like. find is you find people who have um, done amazing things including radical remission of cancer and when they go and see their oncologist they go well we don't know what you're doing but keep doing it and you think why don't you ask what they're doing yeah, well, well, there are consequences, right, for oncologists talking about, you know, dealing with cancer any other way apart from yes. the, the the NHS certified ways. Um, on Amazon, I'm going to be a conspiracy theorist for a moment, <laughs> but if Amazon does become, in total, the world's marketplace, and if it does eventually rid the world of, you know, pretty much every other supermarket or shop or whatever, well, then you might see a lot of those natural products disappear off of Amazon. Well, maybe. yeah, that, no, that is a point. But yeah. certainly from, from Amazon, books that would, so particularly older books, books that would have been thrown in a skip and gone into landfill. I can find textbooks from the 30s and the 40s and the, uh, from the First World War where you can look up things like tetanus or polio and they don't just say, oh, tetanus kills you and you take the safe, effective vaccine. It says, well, you know, in, in, in battle conditions, the most important thing is that you get the splinters or the shrapnel out. Um, and particularly in the lower limb, you actually find ways of how people managed to do things beforehand. Because if there weren't ways of managing, then everybody would have died of tetanus before there was a, a vaccine, for example. Here's a, a really interesting email from um, from Isabel. Regarding vaccines, and then I'll let you go then, Jane. We'll, we'll, we'll mention your website before you do go. People should go and check it out. Isabel says, a lovely gentleman cleans my windows once a month from the outside. Um, it's important for Isabel to tell us that he does it from the outside. <laughs> Thanks for that, Isabel. <laughs> Recently, he cancelled the date and uh, cried off because his newborn baby was really sick. A couple of weeks later, he came back. I inquired about the baby. He said that for the past two weeks, the child had been crying 24-7 and acting really strange and manically. Then he yeah. said the child had temperature. So I asked him about vaccines. And yeah. you can guess the baby started acting really unwell yeah. the day he was vaccinated. I mentioned this to my window cleaner. It could possibly be a reaction. He dismissed it very quickly, so I didn't insist. Yes, no, that's encephalitis, uh, yeah. which is an inflammation of the brain. And that's dangerous, right? Well, um, if you have encephalitis from any other cause and then afterwards you might have a little bit of a learning defect or you might be a little bit deaf or, or you might have a slight personality change, they'll say, oh, it's because you had encephalitis. And encephalitis isn't, doesn't say what causes it. It's just an inflammation. Like tonsillitis doesn't say what causes it. It's just inflammation. And if you, when children start that high-pitched screaming and the irritation and they don't want to move their neck, they've got a certain amount of encephalitis. But somehow... That particular type of encephalitis, which is just a generic term for some inflammation of the brain, that can't possibly cause anything at all. We, we're told. We are, this is, again, this will be so, so interesting to so many of our listeners. The missus and myself haven't been blessed with children, sadly, maybe. Oh, I'm Who sorry, because you'd be such a great dad. I don't know if I would. I, I, I might come across as nice, but I'm... I'm, I'm <laughs> what, what's the word we use back home? Contrary. I can be contrary, Jane. Contrary. Yeah. No, no, I'd be... I, I think I'd be a decent dad, yeah. I do have yeah, plenty of patience. But who knows? Maybe it's in our future. We don't know. But one of, the, one of the things I thought about pretty strongly when, you know, you're, you're trying very hard and you think, well, 
maybe Caroline will be pregnant, maybe we'll have a baby. We have decided that if it ever happens for us, the child will never receive a single vaccine. But we hear a lot of stories these days about um, health workers and social workers turning up and asking people to explain themselves. And so we, we were we were factoring all of this in, you know, we might move to France. Caroline is, is French. Oh, all France of these is things. worse. It's worse. Yeah, I'm yeah, just going to say it's worse. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. People knocking on doors. And these yeah. are things people have to consider. Anyway, I want to finish by saying this, right. Um, you have always reminded me of our family doctor, Dr. Farrell. Uh, who's a far more senior lady than, than you are now. She'd be a very senior uh, lady. And she spoke to us about these things when, you know, when we were younger, no prescribing of antibiotics, you know. She had, you know, plenty of fresh air, plenty of exercise. Great lady, you know. We, she, mm. she was a doctor we had to pay, um, but, yes. but quite often never took payment. And this was the same with a lot of the patients that she saw from, from areas that there were disadvantages. We came from a, from a lovely housing estate, great place, but we didn't always have money. So she was great at stuff like that. And she would say to me when I began to work in radio, she would say, mm. you know, don't forget the measles parties. Like she spoke to me about the um, about about Andrew's big scandal, Andrew Wakefield, right? Oh yes. And yes. and she was careful oh, about yeah. what she said, but and I know you know all about this, of course. She was careful about what she said, but she said, you know, the um, the measles and and the chicken pox and this stuff, it tends to make stronger babies going forward. You know, she used to yes. say things like this, and and, yes. and so I I regret that you're not going to be registered you're delighted i know you are that's the part of your life that's gone you want it to happen sooner it'll happen in 28 days but i as a journalist and somebody who does care i regret it that they can get away with doing this to somebody like you even though you're no bloody victim you're not because it dissuades men and women for thinking from themselves i mean for themselves you to me are everything that a doctor should be you should constantly be checking and rechecking and testing constantly 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 And, and now, you should be reading things you don't agree with, <laughs> because yeah. that's because if you only read things you agree with, then you never learn anything new. But you're happy, right? What's the website? I am. Re- it's, it's, I, I've never done a lot of full-time medicine, not with my domestic commitments that I have. But I used to like doing my NHS practice because it gave uh, people who weren't paying the chance to have a holistic view, not sort of I've got flu, but why I've got flu. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. You know, this thing happened that way. Yes, you know, you're detoxing yourself. In fact, when you're lucky enough to have flu and you get a fever because you don't get many fevers when you're old, which is over the age of six. Most children don't have many fevers over the age of six. Um, when you're when you're old and you get and you get one of these fevers and your liver starts uh, detoxing and your kidney starts filtering and all your white cells start clearing things out and you get the headache and the muscle aches, that's all the toxins coming out. You know, you should thank God. Because when you don't get it out, that's when it becomes fibrous and stuck, you know. And when you talk to people about things in, in those sorts of words, you can see them thinking, oh, oh, yeah, that's really good. You know, so the thing is, don't, what do they used to say? Take, don't be a wimp, take some proprietary medicine and get back to work. No, when you get ill like that, that's your body saying you should have actually had a bit of a rest before, but now we're going to make you feel really lousy. So lie there and detox. And if you take all these tablets so you can't feel it, you, you don't even get to do that. You don't rest. And so... As I said, depending on how you describe it to people, then they start working with their bodies instead of against their bodies. And it's not all chaos. It becomes logical. And that already starts to make them feel better. 
Jane, don't be a stranger, right? I mean, the case is Thank behind you, you yes. now, but um, look, you've got things to say and there obviously there is an independent media, so you will have places to say them. So don't forget about us, obviously. You no, won't... I'd love to talk to you. I mean, the thing is, I must tell you, Richie, um, I was born in Bahrain in the Middle East, but I think I somehow kissed the Blarney Stone. And the one thing I'm quite happy to do <laughs> is, is, is have a talk. Chat about things that I find interesting. Well, listen, uh, people should check out, if you haven't before, Jane's website is jane-donegan.co.uk. Dr. Jane Donegan. It's jane, J-A-Y-N-E, hyphen donegan.co.uk. We think you're pretty remarkable, Jane, and um, you'll just go from strength to strength, won't you? This okay. is behind you I just, I just mentioned one thing, which is if you put my name, Jane Donegan, and Eventbrite, into the search engine, you'll see all my lectures that I give online on Tuesday evenings. Oh, that's right. Excuse me for not yeah. remembering that. Yes, yeah, do yeah. that. Eventbrite. So just put, just put. You don't have to get the the web thing. Just put Jane Dunnigan Eventbrite, and then you'll get my page, and you'll see all the great lectures that I give that the GMC want to stop me giving, but they can't. But they can't do it. Not, yeah. not, not no, they can't. Tell so me. So you can be a rebel. You can attend them and be a rebel in your armchair at home. And these, what what time of the evening do these normally go out? They're at 7.30 to 9.30. And some people say, oh, we're putting the children to bed then. Well, I have a lot of parents who actually sit in bed with their children and watch them. And it's never too young for a child to start learning about natural health. No, it isn't. Event bright. Uh, Next time you're travelling in these parts, do give us a heads up so I can buy you a pint. Oh, that would be lovely. Take care. God bless. You too, Jane. And thank you as always for having me on. Not it's a all. pleasure to talk to you. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Dr. Jane Donegan live on Thursday's Richie Allen Show, special lady. Uh, Jane, J-A-Y-N-E hyphen Donegan.co.uk. But get over to Eventbrite and put Jane's name in there and you'll find um, links to how to access those lectures, those talks that she gives on workshops on uh, Eventbrite on Tuesday evening, 7.30 to 9.30. Brilliant. 18, nearly 19 minutes past the hour. Tell you what I'll do, right? This might piss you off now, but don't don't get pissed off. Um, we were going to open phones and stuff. There, There's a million comments. I'm going to read some of those, play a tune or two, and uh, we'll do a phone-in on Tuesday. We'll do the whole show on Tuesday. I'll do a 10-minute news roundup, only 10 minutes, and from Tuesday at 10 past 5, Skype's phone calls. We'll have a big free-for-all. How does that sound? Does that sound good? I think it sounds good. I think it sounds fair. Reading your message, messages when we come back. This is, again, I don't know, Freudian, I don't know, but it is. It's a travelling Wilburys. And end of the line. On the Richie Allen Show, Thursday's programme. Not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. Welcome back. Listen, I got paid by Patreon overnight. I meant to mention this at the start of the programme. This is important. I got paid by Patreon. I don't know what went on there. It was all very strange. Um, You get your Patreon funds for your project at the beginning of the month. It appears into your account and then you transfer it out. My transfer failed and then the money disappeared completely. And I was given conflicting accounts by two different people working for Patreon as to what really went on there. And I'm still a bit suspicious about it, really. I think I managed to secure the funds, mostly, I think, for just being just being overwhelmingly nice with these people, emailing them and sending them private messages on Twitter and explaining that the show has creditors, the money is important, it needs to be 
given back to me so that I can take it or or send it back to the listeners, send it back to where it came from. And this went on, but overnight the money appeared and I was able to transfer it out. And that's a good thing, but I'm not necessarily ultimately satisfied that something didn't go on because I know that people, and it isn't me, of course, it isn't uniquely me. There are people out there working for Stonewall, for example, working for other special interest groups, and they are contacting people who provide services to the independent media. And they are recommending to those people that they no longer provide those services on the basis that this baldy Irish guy is a hateful bastard and is putting harmful content in the public domain. So this is going on all the time. The show's PayPal was deleted. You know all this. So I'm not entirely satisfied that it was some technical glitch on behalf of Patreon. The reason for that is I trolled, not trolled, I trolled, trolled, I don't troll anybody. I trolled Twitter and I couldn't find a single example of another Patreon creator asking Patreon, where's my money? I couldn't find another example of it. You know, now if I had found a few examples of it, I would have said, ah, so they had some issue at the beginning of July. But it seemed to just happen to this show. I'm no martyr. The show isn't a martyr. We're not being uniquely targeted by by the deep state. That's just bullshit. I'm not saying any of that. You know I'm not a trucer and I never will be. But I just don't trust them. So for the laugh, did I mention this yesterday? My brain's, uh, I've had a difficult week sleep-wise. I always do. But it's been even worse this week. It's been, it's been terrible, right? And partly, tomorrow I'm back at the dentist tomorrow. I'm having a crown done downstairs and I'm having another filling done upstairs so they numb up and down. They've told me it's going to be about 90 minutes. I'm not a coward, right? But I have my phobias and orthodontistry, did I make that up, is one of them. I hate them. I, I, and they're really nice, these dentists. And the nurses, they're great, they're lovely people, but I despise it, that lack of control that lying back in the chair, people looming over me. Now, there is a reason for that that dates back to my childhood and some of the horrors that I experienced as a child that you can never really deal with, right? You can, you, you get on with life and you have fun and all the rest of it, but uh, there are things. So I cannot bear to be in the dentist's chair. You know, not even that one in Hong Kong where the English players went to when they got bottles of Bacardi shoved down their throats. Not even that dentist's chair. I've, Feckin' hated. So that might explain the anxiousness. I've got another five or six trips back to the dentist before my teeth are match fit, as it were. Match fit. I had a heart attack nearly when I learned um, six months ago that my, my great dentist, Danny Madison, had left Manchester and gone to live closer to his family in London. He's Jewish, is Danny. Great bloke. I said, the bastard. I'd only gotten used to him over the years. And I'd only become comfortable. And now I've got a new dentist. And they're all young. And they're all cocky and arrogant. But really nice as it happens. But they're full of flash, you know. They've got big cars in the driveway. And they're full of the chat and all of this sort of stuff. And I don't like any of it. So I'm back there tomorrow to have more work done. So maybe that explains the, the tiredness. But um, yeah, so the Patreon thing is good news. But I don't know if I mentioned yesterday. Again, I've just gone a long way of explaining why my brain's all over the place 
Um, did I tell you that there will be a P.O. box? I did tell you. I did tell you. I have purchased the P.O. box with the Royal Mail, which costs £120 per quarter, per three months, right? So I will ask my great friend Hayden, and he is my great friend, to put those details online. Because some of you have said to me over the years, I don't deal with banks, I don't deal with PayPal, I don't deal with Patreon. If you had a P.O. box, I might send you a cheque or a money order. For the show, not for me. I don't take the funds and have a jolly up in Manchester. Everything goes back into the show to pay for the show. Whatever is left over is my salary. That's how it works, right? We've established this. We've been doing it since 2014. So there will be a P.O. box and then it's down to you if you want to, to go that way. Yeah, £39 something a month. You've got to buy three months up front and then it's a month-by-month payment. We'll see how it goes. It'll be another option, won't it? But anyway, let me just say once again, because I don't. maybe I don't do this enough. It's not because I am callous and because I take it for granted, but this dates back to 2014 to every person who since 2014 said, here's three quid, here's a pound, here's a tenner, I enjoyed the show. To everybody who's ever done that, thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's wonderful. It's been wonderful, hasn't it? You know, we, 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 we don't do this without you. Jesus, that sounded shit. I don't or cannot do this without you because we don't bring in advertising. Eamon was brilliant, wasn't he? Helping us out there with uh, Immunex 365. We had Eamon. But before that, it was years since we had an advertisement. Despite our reach, despite our, our, our metadata, Despite the, the figures, we, we've, we've got a lot of listeners. But people don't advertise with us and that's just the way of it. So if it isn't you supporting it, it doesn't get made. And that's the way of it really, isn't it? So thank you. Let me continue to read some of your messages. Cliff says, Hi Richie, is the name of your dentist Phil McCavity and is your appointment at Tooth Hurty? Cliff, that's garbage. I love you, Cliff. Cliff's a great supporter, by the way. But come on, Cliff. I mean, that's so old that you've got to dust the cobwebs off of that. Bill says, did you go private with the dentist, Richie? Yes, you have to go private. NHS dentists won't do the things I need doing. I've um, got to have a bridge replaced. You know, crowns and stuff. The NHS dentists just won't. You, you cannot, as far as I understand, getting a dentist to register you as an NHS patient, anywhere near where I live anyway, is next to impossible. It's impossible. You've got to go private, yeah. Sadly. And it's ridiculously expensive. Ridiculously expensive. It is prohibitively expensive. But what do you do? These things happen. You've got no choice, do you? You've got to cut your cloth to fit your measure. You've got to move your expenditures around and try and just get by with it. I mean, it's ridiculously expensive. But I suppose I mentioned earlier on we're childless. We don't have that expense. There are other expenses we don't have. So we can just about get away with it. But it's ridiculous. The cost of dentistry is ridiculous. I mean, it is a license to print money. It's gangsterism, isn't it? Dentists. I've said this to my dentist. He's um, a chap who's, uh, I think his background, his ethnicity is British Pakistani. He, the practice has got white dentists and dentists of other ethnicities. They're all young, as I said. They're all brash and funny. Right, this guy is a British Pakistani. He's great. Great guy. His name is Hitesh. 
But um, I said to him, I said, I'd love, I wish I'd have gone to, um, when I went to uni, I wish I'd have done dentistry. Jesus, Mary and Joseph, like, where do you get the prices from? I mean, do, do you just, do you conjure them up off the top of your head? 300 for this and 290 for that and 180 pounds for a filling. I mean, where do you get these fucking numbers? <laughs> but um, look, if you do the crime, you've got to do the time. Chris says, Richie, we had to pay to have our boys measles and rubella jabs done separately. Now, says Chris, with hindsight, we wouldn't ever have given them any jabs. We watched a fascinating documentary entitled Vaxxed, which is a must-watch, a must-watch even for every parent. Was Vaxxed produced by the bloke uh, known as Del Big Tree, was it? I think, yeah. Was it? Del Big Tree, I think, yeah. That's the guy, yeah. Um, hi to Andy, who says the money was resting in that Patreon account, yeah. I didn't think I'd get it back, but I did anyway. Thank, thank heavens for that, right? Because we, this, 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 you hear sometimes businesses say, they, you know, everything is on the margins. That you're week to week, month to month. Well, that's how it is with this radio show. It's month to month. You don't know what it's going to do. How it's going to, you know, at the end of the month, what's going to come in. And um, we've survived this long. I think we'll continue to survive. Um, thanks to you. Simon, thank you. Uh, I look forward to reading your email. Uh, Cliff says, really enjoyed listening to Dr. Donegan, who's a great doctor. Thank you for that, Cliff. Lots of messages came in that I missed. I apologise. Paul says, Richie, Dr. Mercola has great articles, but they only stay up for a while. So you've got to download the PDFs. As a result, I take quercetin, a zinc ionophore, alongside vitamins C, D3 and other things. Had a cold, now have parosmia, which is distorted taste and smell, but I'm fit and well. He says, does Paul, if I get cancer, come on, Paul, cheer up, son, you won't get cancer. He says, I will try fenbendazole, which is a dog dewormer, he says. He's going to have a go at that. Presumably, Paul, you can purchase these things online. Do you? These are areas I know very little bit about. Now, Agneska has been on to say, Richie, get yourself some homeopathic gelsemium, G-E-L-S-E-M-I-U-M, from Holland and Barrett. Other providers are available uh, for your anticipation and dislike of the dentists or any homeopathic pharmacy. Uh, gelsemium or gelsemium is number one for your fear of dentists. It isn't fear anymore as much as anxiety. Fear would be, no, and thanks to Andy Brandish. Thank you, Andy, for your kind words as well. This is the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on BBG, from BBG Towers on richieallen.co.uk, Fab Radio 2, the TuneIn app, and we're on Rumble. Uh, hi to Elizabeth. No, Tuesday. Tuesday. We're going to do it on Tuesday. I'll tell you why. I'm enjoying the programme, but I don't have the energy. That's what it is. It's been one of these weeks. I don't have the energy, and I'm going to screw up now. You know when you get to that stage when 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 fatigue hits you and it's it's only today I'll be I'll be fine on Sunday I'll be fine next week it's just been a mad week this week you know when you get to that stage it, you're almost drunk with the fatigue I I I could start trying to take in calls now and line up calls and I'll just make a complete balls of it I'll I'll be honest with you remember we learned dear listener do you remember we learned not long ago is that a new test is in the offing which will determine whether a driver who has caused a car accident 
was in fact too tired to drive and therefore can be penalised for driving while overtired. Do you remember this? We talked about this in great detail when the news emerged. Yes, pharma has got something for everything. Although this won't be pharma really. Will it be pharma? Will it be pharma behind this? So a test is pretty much ready to go. So if I'm driving my car down down Langworthy Road and like a complete idiot, I fail to spot Mr Murphy crossing with his Zimmer frame. I fail to spot him and I hit him without slowing down, right? Thankfully, Mr Murphy's okay. He's just got to have another hip replacement, which is pretty sore. So I've caused that accident. They'll be able to do a blood test and determine whether or not I was too tired to drive. They're saying people should know whether they're too tired to drive or not. Now, I don't agree with this. This is dystopian, I think, on on some levels. But I wouldn't get into a car this evening now and take a drive, say, to uh, Manchester, to Bolton or to Wigan because of fatigue. I wouldn't. I would take, I would say, I would take responsibility and say, um, your concentration is probably not where it needs to be. Therefore, don't get into a car until you've had more rest. I'm not saying I agree with this blood test, which they will use on people. It's to find ways of finding people. It's also to find, it's new ways of getting people off the road, isn't it? I I would argue, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe as usual, I'm talking monumental bollocks, right? Okay. Yeah, because I often do. Thank you. Right, where was I? Baird says, Richie, talking about natural medicine, have you ever looked into natural dentistry? It's a bit of a thing now, so I hear, says Baird. First time I've ever heard of it today. Didn't know anything about that. Dave says, Richie, as a father of two boys myself, I can tell you, you'd be a cracking dad, unless you're a world-class liar and a closet bampot. <laughs> What's a bampot? He says, great show, thanks, mate. Yeah, I've always enjoyed the company. Of, uh, of kids, other people's kids. Kids make me laugh. But of course, people who have kids, they say, that is the luxury of the childless. It's the luxury of the childless to say, oh, I love children and I love hanging out with them. They're great fun. They make me laugh and they give me energy and they're brilliant altogether. Parents say, well, that's the luxury of the childless dipstick. Wait till you have your own children and they're driving you around the bend 24-7. I can understand that, fair enough. I can take that one on the chin too. It is Del Bigtree who made Vaxxed, according to John. Thank you, John. I did see it. It seemed like a pretty good film when I, when I saw it. Didn't they have screenings of it around various countries and didn't they screen it in the UK? Was there an issue? Did some venues take the pressure, succumb, succumb to the external pressures and refuse to screen it? Was that going on? A bit like Jeremy Corbyn at the moment. It's not his film. There is a film called Oh Jeremy Corbyn or something like that and it's about how false accusations of anti-Semitism ultimately made life impossible for Jeremy Corbyn. Well, various Zionist groups, and they are Zionists, they're not Jewish people, um, have successfully managed to cancel screenings of the Jeremy Corbyn documentary around the country. We are living in wondrous times, are we not, dear listener? William says, been a great week with fantastic guests. Thanks, Richie. Thank you, William. Dave reckons with the fenbendazole, which we heard might be used to help with cancer. Got to be very careful what you say, of course. Um, Well, no, you don't. You can say whatever you want. 
I'm, I'm not a doctor anyway, so don't listen to me. Uh, Dave says you should take zinc with that. Jenny says my parents were way ahead of their time because I wasn't jabbed at all as a child. They didn't believe in it. I wish now that I'd asked them why they didn't have me jabbed. Jenny, the answer is obvious. And the answer's in the question. And the answer's in what you already said. They didn't believe in it. They believed in... I mean, I remember something David Icke said to me years ago. Again, we were having a drink. We had lots of drinks. Not suggesting for a minute now that either um, the boy Ike or myself are alcoholics. Far from it. Nothing like it. Um, but we'd go for a drink of an evening. What else could we do in Brent in London? Which, um, you know, if they dropped a nuclear bomb on it, to be an improvement. Brent in London. And I'm sorry if you live in Brent, because it's, it's not nice when you hear a dickhead on the radio criticise where you live. You know, because you live there. I, I'd be offended now if somebody said something about Salford. I'd be like, well, hang on a second, I live there. So forgive me for saying that. But I, I didn't enjoy my time in Brent. That's all I'm going to say. What else is there to do but go for a pint in the evening? David's a wine man. He likes wine, David. He likes a glass of white and a glass of red, not together at the same time. But he likes a glass of wine. And he said to me, because I was saying to him, you know, because I like to stir a bit of shit me, which he appreciated. I like to stir it, like just start an argument. I said, you can't be right about these vaccines. I said to him, not all of them. Some of these jabs must be useful. I said, the concept is pretty legitimate, isn't it? You introduce a little bit of, you know, the antibodies of something that, um, you know, might be harmful to a kid. It's only a little bit. The body recognises it and then builds up immunity to it. It's not a bad thing. And you couldn't really get a rise out of the man. But he said to me, and I think he's always put it in these terms, and I've never heard it put any better. Why would you take a baby which doesn't have a developed immune system and fill it full of toxic pus and crap that can, he never says does, can, can, not, not always, but can completely banjax the immune system of the recipient baby. But I've never heard it put better than that. We had the BCG, we've talked about this before, I'm repeating myself now, but I never got rotavirus, rhinovirus jabs and all those other jabs, never got any of them. Thank God, none, none of them. And now as Jane said, kids can expect to be offered up to 14, 15, 16 jabs before they reach puberty for things that are harmless to children. Like flu, they're going to give the flu jab now to secondary school kids. I mean, this is demonic. I'm going to say it. I'm agnostic when it comes to religion, but this is, this is demonic. It is demonic. It is a lie. And I know this. Now, again, I've got to say this is my opinion. My opinion. Based on what I've read, it is a lie that you protect everybody around you. That's nonsense. I know this because... Every one of us has got a story about somebody who got the flu jab and then got very sick. I know this because she was right when she said they decide in the very early spring which flu strain will be prevalent in the community in the future winter and they take a punt. They take a punt on which flu it's going to be then they manufacture the jabs. Often, if not most times, it's the wrong one and it doesn't work. And in many cases, it gives people flu. So it's demonic to say to secondary school children, you, you've had loads of jabs now, 
you've had a dozen, you've had 16, you've had 17, 18, then we're going to give you a flu jab because we know that if you get flu, it won't do really... I mean, this is the COVID bollocks again, isn't it? We know if we give you the flu jab... Sorry, we know if you get flu, if you contract flu, if you come down with flu, it's not going to really be that bad for you. But don't forget granny. Get it for granny. This is unethical. Asking people to take a medical intervention on behalf of somebody else. You know? To those of you asking me about about sleep, I've tried everything for sleep. Everything. If you can think of it, I've tried it over the years. Except the pharmaceutical sleeping tablets I've never taken one never never touched them never will a relative of mine took a sleeping tablet for years which if memory serves was known as Ponston that was the 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 name of it the brand name of it and that person did really well to come off them after 15 years but going turkey was hellish no no I've outside of pharma intervention I've tried everything but uh, no joy you just learn to live with it. Colin reckons Andrew Wakefield must have been right over the target. The window cleaner says, we were so disappointed, we were told if we didn't have the jab, we would kill Granny. None of us had the jab, and for three years, we all coughed all over Granny whenever we got the chance. But she refused the jab, and she still hasn't croaked either, says the window cleaner. Pandora says Amazon is a useful tool, but to cut out Bezos, you can locate things using Amazon, then buy direct from the actual supplier to cut out the middleman. That's a very clever comment. Because Amazon rapes sellers, doesn't it? Retailers. Rapes them. I've heard from people who came on this programme to talk about a book which they couldn't get published through a traditional publishing house because of censorship. So they went the Amazon route and get absolutely buggered by Amazon's charges. So Pandora, that's an excellent suggestion. If you can use Amazon as a tool to find natural alternative health products, by all means do, says Jenny, but then buy them direct from the supplier if you can. Very good. Very good point, that. A very good point indeed. Going to take another tune before I read some more comments. Thursday's programme with me, your BBG. Listening to Radio 2 sometimes, listening to all these radio stations, here's a song you don't often hear anymore. It is Aha! And the sun always shines on TV. Yeah, he was a good-looking bastard, wasn't he? Morton Harkett. Morton Harkett. Aha! Alan Partridge. Great stuff. Time check. Time check, nine minutes to the top of the air. Thanks for all the messages, by the way. What came in yesterday? 681 came in yesterday. 709 have come in today. 709. You're mad. How would you expect me to read 709 messages? Some of you are crazy, Baxters. Like, you send, you, you send like, 16 a show. Or 25 a show. You make me laugh. Like, you're like, you can't see this unless you're on Rumble. You're like this all the way through the show. Like, i, I got to say something. It's good I'm not criticising it. Keep doing it. But but don't blame me when I don't read them out. There's like 709. <laughs> Jesus. Are you bragging? No, I'm not. It's just mental. Kelly lives in Brent. London is not what it used to be, that's for sure, says Kelly. Thank you, Kelly. Thanks for not taking offence at that. I really appreciate it. Don't take offence. Tongue in cheek. Listen, I lived in 
some weird and wonderful places over the years too. Oh, by the way, Ian asks a good question. Any news on the Fab Cafe? Yes. Uh, I promise you, faithfully, please trust me, by Tuesday morning, we will announce a date, an actual date in September. It, um, don't, 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 we mentioned early, we mentioned the 17th, forget about that. On Tuesday, we will announce a date and probably later that day or on Wednesday, tickets will be available on some ticketing website. Um, we reckon about, because of the size of the cafe, we reckon about somewhere between 150 and 170 tickets. So it's small, but that's that's about right, isn't it, really? Um, it's a good place to start, I think. So Tuesday for definite, because we want to give people plenty of time, obviously, to make arrangements if they'd like to come. So it's an evening with, with me. <laughs> I know. I know it. It might very well not be your thing. It might fall flat on its face. But uh, I promise it won't be dull anyway. That it won't be. You might wander out of it at the end going, what was that all about? But it won't be dull. Francis asks, is there a video or a book which explains the vaccine con? I mean, there are thousands, if not tens of thousands of videos now on BitChute, on Rumble, on other kind of alternatives to YouTube where doctors from all over the world are giving their tuppence worth on the vaccines and explaining why the COVID jabs are harmful, Francis. So I don't think you need to look too hard to find, or you don't have to look too far online on the alternative sites to um, um, to find doctors explaining why the jabs are dangerous. Rob says, Richie, we are currently trying to move house. We had to pay £60 for an energy performance certificate. And you now get a CO2 output from your home and ways to improve it. Ours is a normal semi-detached house and we were given an E rating. I strongly believe that in a few years, if you are not in the band A to C, this will impact your ability to sell or mortgage your home. You will own nothing and be happy, says Rob. Yes, yes, and that's come up on this programme in the past, absolutely. Well done. Don says, Richie, what's the point of not taking the vaccine, then having to bury grandma? Not taking the vaccine is selfish, says Don. (laughs) Fair enough, Don, that's what you believe. But you know, it's a recent phenomenon, Don, this notion. By recent, we mean the last 10 or so years. You know, previously it was considered absolute heresy. Heresy is probably not the correct choice of words, but it was considered redundant, medically redundant, to ask somebody to take, for themselves to take a medicine on behalf of a third party. Um, It's ridiculous. If somebody believes a vaccine works, good, good for you, you take the vaccine. But that person, upon taking the vaccine, um, it's preposterous for that person to to then invite the wider community to take the vaccine. But you've had the vaccine. Why are you asking me to take it? That indicates to me that you're maybe not as confident in the efficacy of the vaccine as you first mentioned. Why should I take it? If you've taken it, shouldn't it provide sufficient coverage for you? Shouldn't it provide sufficient protection? It was anathema. It was madness. 
in medical circles. Um, Don was being tongue-in-cheek, by the way. Um, but it was absolute madness. It was considered madness in the past, in the relatively recent past, to ask people to take an intervention on behalf of somebody else. Anyway, that's it. That's it from me. I'm going to do one, as we say in the trade. I'm going to do one. And I did have a song. I didn't. No, I didn't. I didn't have a song. There isn't a song lined up, so I'm just going to take the nearest song. This will do. Thank you so much to Dr. Jane Donegan, by the way. What a lovely lady. We're lucky to have people like Jane, I think, in our lives. I'll see you Sunday for the melodies. Until then, bye. I've got to take a little time Time to think things over I better read between the lines In case I need it when I'm old